0: Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots Educational Consulting Services. Our editor and production
1: manager is Katie Kunin. Our producer is Jamie Higa, and our music is provided by Poets Row.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to the final episode of Season 2. I cannot believe that we are here. We have so much to celebrate. We've got a lot of changes coming up. First and foremost, I want to let everyone know that our wonderful Katie Canine, who has been editing this podcast since we started, she's still going to be on the team. She's still going to help us with our graphics, um, but she, I don't know why she's leaving, but apparently she thinks that an internship with Apple in San Francisco takes precedence over our little small podcast, Education Suspended. Just kidding, Katie. We love you. We cannot thank you enough for all you have done. You're willing to take a risk and join this team because you believe in what we do means a lot. So we wish you the best in San Francisco. And we've got some exciting news that we're going to share when we start season three about what editing is going to look like and who we're going to partner with. So we're really excited about that. We are almost to 16,000 listens as I record this introduction for our final episode. So I ask all of you, as you listen to this final episode, go back over the last season, over the last two seasons pick your favorite episodes and please send them to those you work with to your friends to your family help us push this out and keep going it's an honor doing this podcast and it's an honor that you listen so thank you for all the time that you have given us thus far let's talk about our last episode of season two it's a great one. And again, I keep saying it's why I love this podcast, the people that we get to meet. So today we sit down with William Tucker, who's one of the co-founders of Charity United, which is a US-based charity that works with some of the most marginalized kids from around the world in, in the most impoverished slums of the world. Um, and he goes in, boots on the ground, and helps provide support in the form of literacy. He asked this question in, in our episode that really just kind of rocked Steve and I. And the question is simple. It's why do we educate? Why do we do what we do? And we have really good conversation about that. And he could be doing a lot of things, but he chooses literacy for a specific reason and he shares why. And he just encourages us as we wrap up the season to continue to understand that our ultimate premise needs to be pushing forward, needs to be transforming this archaic system and to do the best that we can to give our students the opportunities that they deserve all of our students, regardless of where they're at and the opportunities and the access they have around them. Thanks again for listening to Education Suspended. Thank you for an amazing season two, everyone. Sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with William Tucker. Hello. Hey, William. How are you? Very good. How are you? Good. We're excited to meet you. Well, thank you.
1: Likewise. I don't yeah. have my usual setup because I'm in Ireland right this second. Uh, I'm just setting up a literacy coalition over here uh, in the, with several community groups. So.
2: Oh, man, can I just jump in your suitcase and just go to Ireland?
0: Exactly. It is nice here. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. We're jealous that you're in Ireland. We will fly over right when we're done recording. <laughs> I've never been to Ireland. My wife really wants to go. I've never been, but we're glad our paths have crossed and we're really excited to, to learn from you today and have you share with us kind of your, your insight and, and all the amazing work that you do. William, we begin all of our episodes the same. We will have you introduce yourself to our listeners, talk about what you do, how you got there, then, you know, reflect on your own experience as a student in mm-hmm. your educational career and what connections does that have? And we will go from there.
1: Okay. So My name is William Tucker. I'm the president of Charity United. It's a charity we set up and I also run a company called Clarity Learning Centers. I've been mainly focused on on charitable activities for the last five years, uh, going out to the slums of the world and uh, helping with education. We actually started by helping war refugees, but one of the things we noticed is that one war ends, the next one finishes. So when you're doing emergency aid and you're trying to help people, It's a rat race, right? We saw many of our friends suffering burnout because there's just a never-ending stream of misery, war, disaster. So we started taking a a step back of, okay, like, how do we actually get to the bottom of all of these problems? And that's what started leading us down the path of actually, instead of emergency aid, starting to provide education and digging in deep uh, into society slums in order to to start solving this problem uh, or the underlying problem. And that's kind of how I got on this route to education. Where did I start educationally? Okay, well, I have an interesting background. My father's American. My mother is Swedish. I was born in Belgium, raised in Holland, Denmark, Sweden, United Kingdom, and the U.S. I have moved around a lot. I think I've attended 15 different schools before the age of of 12. Quite frankly, in the beginning, that was a total disaster because I was also having to switch languages all the time. In the end, I ended up going to a private school uh, for a while, and that kind of saved my life because I had some stability uh, and managed to to focus on one language, English, and actually get through.
0: I find it interesting within your own edu- educational career, and I'm wondering if there's any conscious decision, but for you as a student having to shift from an environment to environment, from that language perspective, and now your focus, um, as I understand it, so tell me if I'm wrong, right? Like you, your emphasis on, is on this educational aid mm-hmm. to, to areas of the world that are extremely marginalized, mm-hmm. but you come at it from that literacy language perspective. Is that just by irony or is there, is there a reason for that? There's actually a reason for that. I mean, one of the first slums I went to was called
1: etwa and etwatwa is uh, in south africa it's a zulu uh, word or name and etwatwa actually means machine gun fire i wanted to go to the worst where the government doesn't go where social services don't go where the police doesn't uh, doesn't go and quite frankly where people from soweto do not dare go where do you have no resources because then you can get a correct estimation of effort what do you have to do to start? Because it's easy to write down an educational program when you're in an office in an academic setting. But how is that going to translate to the real world? <laughs> That's an entirely different story. One of the first things I started to do is ask the people there, what help do you think you need? What is preventing you from getting out of this? And the answer was shocking. You would think they say, oh, food, clothing, shelter. No, that was not the answer right? Even though they had very little of that. The answer was literacy and education. It's interesting that I have that background because that has really helped me, but it's not how we led into it. It was purely what do the people in the slums consider they need and want
0: and what helps them? It's somewhat of a coincidence because that was one of my my questions as I was preparing for, for meeting you was why literacy? Why not math? Why not science? and i think one thing that i that i'm super excited about in grainer you know literacy is your happy place too right this is this was your world for 33 years so i guess my first question would then be for you william of again wh- why literacy specifically like what's the power behind that mm-hmm. and then for both of you if both of you could, could could define essentially what do you mean by literacy i think it's a very broad term what I is think literacy that's a
1: really good question why literacy literacy is the foundation of all other learning i'm sorry but if you're illiterate if you cannot read you cannot study math you cannot study history you cannot study science everything is closed off if you don't have literacy that's the answer to the first question second question how do i define literacy i define literacy different than everybody else reading with understanding. That to me is literacy. If you cannot understand what you read, why read? You're wasting time. Go fish instead. Uh, you know, if we correctly define literacy as reading with understanding, and we work towards that goal, because that's what
2: reading is all about. William, you make me think of something I talk to people about a lot with kids that we work with that come from the margins, is the poverty of words. Yes that they've grown up with. And it took me a long time, sad to say, it took me a long time to realize that as a teacher, the core of any lesson I taught was vocabulary because so many of my kids had a poverty of words and that made everything inaccessible and actually ended up causing trouble. But of course they would act out or of course they would have behavior issues because they they don't have access to whatever I'm teaching. So I, I ended up centering my every lesson on the key words that were involved because I understood finally what I think you've understood all along. Poverty leads to poverty of words, which leads to inaccessible education.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you and I are on the exact same page, you know, and and, and I've observed the exact same of what, what, what you're observing. The vocabulary, you know, opens the door to
0: understanding. I'm just going to be transparent about my own sense of literacy. So for me, growing up reading, it was very difficult. You know, I needed extra support. I always tell this to Grainer because I'm like, Grainer, I'm going to need you to read this before I send it out. What I found is that even though the actual act of reading, sounding the words out, reading out loud was difficult, I was able to build the skill to compensate to put pieces of the puzzle together, like, oh, well, I know this word, I know this word, I can somewhat understand. Do you feel that we need to do better than just getting kids to, to be able to compensate, or do, should it go deeper than that? I don't know if this question makes sense. It makes total sense to me. Because so I feel I like compensation is a good skill, but I feel like it has to be better than that. I, I agree with you, and I actually developed a, a very
1: particular literacy program. When you start literacy in any language, English has about 50 small words that are 50% of every sentence. In actual fact, I can make you a challenge. I can take 5 words out of your vocabulary and you will no longer be able to make a proper English sentence. If I remove 10 words, I destroy your ability to make clear concepts. I'll give you an example. The word's two, right? to, right? T O. Do you know that it has 30 different meanings? and it changes the entire meaning of a sentence. The words at, how many meanings do you know for the word at? I made these booklets, which I call Ollie the Elephant uh, for kids in the slums, where I show one meaning of the word at, and then I have 20 illustrated examples that show how to correctly use the word in that sense. Like the first meaning of at, place or position. And then I have a picture Ollie is at home, because at shows place or position. The next page, Ollie is at the door. Ollie is at the well. 20 illustrated examples so that even a six-year-old can get a thorough understanding of what that first meaning of at is. Then we go to the second meaning of the word at. At shows time. At shows a precise time. Meet me at seven (laughs) o'clock. Right? I wake up at sunrise or... Uh, I have breakfast at 8.30 in the morning. At shows time. Good. Let's go to the third meaning of at. At shows direction. Look at the wall. Look at the sun. (laughs) Look at the floor. At shows direction. Or he screams at his friend. Right? Direction. So that's your third meaning of at. Let's go to the fourth meaning of at. Shows what you're doing or how something is being done. I'm good at dancing or I'm terrible at singing, uh, she's at play. So those are your first four meanings of that. But each each booklet has 20 illustrated examples that shows correct use because this, this is your fundamental language structure. And if you don't know these meanings, you will have a hard time reading because everything will not be clear. It will be fuzzy. And what's happening right now in our archaic schooling system, is they're like, oh, yeah, you figure out everything yourself based based on the words you read.
0: Are you kidding? Well, and it seems like by, by doing that, and that really resonated, I found myself taking notes being like, oh, this is information that would have been useful yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this is right, but instead of focusing on the pure memorization, getting something right or wrong, which tends to be how we view and have built the system around our kids. By you giving them this capacity to think critically, you're giving them a life skill that I think can impact all future learning. Which is that deep comprehension of content.
1: You're exactly right. I mean, you're very sharp. Okay, <laughs> you really are, because that's exactly what starts to happen when you take away this fog. All of a sudden, critical thinking or thinking switches on. They start to think, and they start to see when things doesn't make sense. You know, anything you have to memorize is something you don't understand. Anything you understand, you don't have to memorize. So once you focus on understanding rather than memorization, you're actually learning because memorization is not learning. You can teach a parrot to memorize something. This parrot's not understanding what it's saying. We need to stop treating our kids like animals, and we need to start treating them as human beings teaching as a human being, teaching, as you correctly point out, to think. But for that, you need to know the history of Western education. The education system in use right now is the Prussian education system. Prussia was an empire before the First World War. It was a militaristic empire. The entire philosophy of that empire was based on making soldiers. An education system for soldiers is unquestioning following orders. And that's where this whole memorization right-wrong comes from. Whereas if you want to create thinkers, uh, you need the opposite. You need people who question everything. And I'm sure Steve does does this as well. I, I invite my students to challenge the information I give them. By all means, challenge gravity, but test it yourself. Don't take my words of the laws of gravity for it to be true. Test it,
2: Right? right? I'm so happy he went there. Oh, this seems like the perfect segue into Describing to our teachers the the difference between the Western education mindset and and maybe a a richer education mindset that takes in more cultures, you've experienced so many cultures. What have you learned um, from thinking of this in a different way and not just a Western mindset and 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 more of a holistic sort of both and instead of either or kind of mindset?
1: Well, if I sum it all up, it's really this memorization versus understanding. People always talk about, oh, you need to have confidence. That's a useless statement. How are you going to get confidence? Well, let's look at confidence. What, What are the elements of confidence? Well, confidence is based on certainty, and certainty is knowing that you know. If you know that you know something, that is certainty. All confidence disappears when you have lack of certainty. Don't tell people, "Oh, you must have confidence. Give them confidence. How do you give them confidence by educating them in such a way so that they get certainty? And some people will, "Oh, that's going to take a long time." No, 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 no. You start with one certainty. You start with one little certainty, and then you build your next block on that in my literacy program the first booklet always takes half an hour 45 minutes the second one oh it's five minutes shorter by the time there there are 10 booklets in it's taking them 15 minutes a booklet and we focus only on giving certainty full understanding and this is what's wrong with the modern education system everybody gets taught at the same pace if you get behind you're running but you can never catch up and you lose your certainty And the kids get less and less and less confident because they're not having the needed time that they need to be certain of a piece of information. The kid drops out of school. He knows he's lost because you've just let him or forced him to go faster than he could. And I call that a human rights violation because it goes against Article 28, the rights of the child.
0: I'm I'm connecting some dots again tell me if this is kind of where you're you're coming from but I'm so glad that you said essentially our system rushes kids through before even verifying that understanding and certainty exists and so if you're a kid that for whatever reason is showing up to school in which the life of around you doesn't give you the privilege to be ready to learn that developmental expectation that we have from you, even from just a literacy perspective, it's going to pile on and pile on and pile on. And so to your point, the older you get, you go to this setting, you go to your school, right? You go in, into the educational system and it's it's not sparking joy. It's not bringing you pleasure. And so, yes, your vulnerabilities to find intrinsic joy and reward in other places that, that vulnerability increases. And so I'm sure you see that in the work that you do. But do you, is that kind of your, your thoughts, right? Like our, our system's inability to think outside of the box and and not so step one, two, three, rush, rush, rush. I mean, it has pervasive impacts. Yeah, well, I don't even
1: think they can think inside a box. I don't think the system has any thinking at all. <laughs> but... <laughs>
0: I'll say, you
1: know, that. I'll say it's that. Just wrote, wrote without observation. Right? They're not looking at the child. Is the child doing better or worse? Uh, nobody looks at that. But in all fairness, the power to teach has been taken away from teachers. They're supposed to to follow a government system and guidelines. Teachers know how to teach. Governments don't. It's time to start listening to the teachers, because it's just check boxes for them. And we're dealing with live individuals. You're dealing with a three-year-old or a four-year-old. They each have their own life. You can't fit them into one mold. I consider the schools criminal treatment of children because you're supposed to make a child understand. You're supposed to develop them, not make a march in line, goose-stepping all the way through a math book. And if one child needs a little longer to fully understand, good, that child deserves that. It's that child's human right.
2: So, for um, many of our teachers who are listening and agreeing with you, but also really frustrated with, I have 35 kids, I have 30 kids, they're all at different places. And I know school then just becomes a sorting system and it's kind of puts the teachers at a real disadvantage. And I've lived that experience. What are some, you know, practical little steps, strategies, even maybe go back to your experience in the slums, where you took kids from a survival mentality to thriving learners in some cases. What do we say to teachers, I I believe William, but what do I do? In the slums,
1: well, I have the freedom uh, to do what, (laughs) what I think is right, because quite frankly, Nobody cares about those kids. Otherwise, they would be in school. As horrible as that sounds, it gives you a certain amount of freedom as a teacher to do something different. So what do I do? I pair the kids up that are similar speed. I don't sort by age. I sort by similar level. And I also promote a lot of self-learning so that I only have to step in when they get stuck. If they run into difficulties, then I'm there, but I'm not trying to lead the whole class at the same time. I'm saying, okay, I divide them in little groups and preferably pair them up and have the kids reading to each other. I will give them both the same booklet and I have them read out loud. Now explain to your partner what it means. Now what happens after you do this a little bit, you develop the skill in the child to see what he doesn't understand. So then they'll come to you with the exact question. Hey, I don't understand this. And now you can give an answer as a teacher.
0: A couple episodes ago, we interviewed um, a principal by the name of Jace Williams um, in Australia. And he had a very similar theme by not necessarily being confined to... Well, I guess by having more freedom, you're able to actually push the boundaries and the question of like, what what is what is the actual end goal of education? And as we were getting ready for this interview with you, that was one of the most impactful things that I heard you say in another interview is, we're not on the same page as a system for what's the end goal of education. There's that historical perspective, but you're really coming at it from like, that has to shift. And that's kind yeah. of, it seems to be where you're coming at and, and the why behind a lot of this work, which is... I think, very, very important. And it's a critical question. And I actually don't think that we ask ourselves that enough. What What is the purpose of this educational system? Yeah, what's the purpose of education? It's something I actually thought
1: about a lot, right? Uh, and it's only recently that I finally figured out, oh, why do we educate? Like, what is the purpose of education? What, you know, what are we trying to achieve? When you ask this to people, many people will go, well, you know, to get a diploma. No, that's not why I why you educate. The <laughs> Dipl- diploma hangs on the wall. What should be the purpose of education? Much more important than our view is like what's what's the purpose of education for a child or for an individual? Education should be geared so that an individual can achieve his dreams or goals. That's why we educate. We don't educate to satisfy some empire. We don't educate to satisfy. Uh, the reputation of the college, we are educating individuals and trying to put them in a state where they can achieve their goals, where they can follow their dreams. And if that becomes our purpose, we would start educating differently.
0: Greener, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question to you. As an as a educator of 33 years, what was your understanding and the purpose of what's the end goal of education?
2: Actually, I don't ever remember anyone talking to me about that. That became, you know, more my, my decision, you know, um, as a teacher. but you know, it's, it's fascinating. No one really talked about it. It was clear the system was a sorting system. From when I was in first grade, I'm, you know, a little older here. Um, you know, there were bluebirds and, and blackbirds and cardinals, and kids were sorted in first grade. And don't you know, they knew it, you know? They they knew who they were and they knew where they stood. And then they kind of maybe even started to sense my future is not in academics when it certainly could have been. You know, I I've I've met many quote unquote blackbirds in my life who are brilliant and are doing great work in many arenas, but they were sorted out at that time. And I didn't ever want that to be. I I, I guess what I my understanding of education was two things, curiosity and creativity. And if I could build those two things rather than compliance and compulsory skills, if I could build creativity and and curiosity, then, then I'd done my job as a teacher. But nobody told me that.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because I think, again, what's coming up for me in my own experience, and I'm not trying to transfer, but what I was aware of when I think probably other students' experience, if. And again, we're focused on literacy in this episode. But if you know if, if literacy is not a strength if if literacy um doesn't come easy to you for a lot of these kids we we then remove them from the larger system to teach them in isolation. Not that that's necessarily bad in theory, but I think william, what what I like about what you said is that you're coming at it from a different perspective instead of. Thinking about it in the very traditional perspective of chronological, 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 here's what you're expected to do as that large group. If you don't fit it, we're going to pull you out and it doesn't, and that's not going to feel the best. You're going to become acutely aware of like, oh, I'm different. I'm not as good. You say, I'm I'm grouping by developmental skill level. And that takes some of that vulnerability out because you're still with those around you in a system that like, oh, we're we have this in common. We can grow together i don't have really have a question but that was kind of connecting grainer with what you said about i think if we can start asking that more we'll probably see some light bulb moments keep in mind that like when you pair them by ability you get a much faster education
1: system because everybody has enough time to fully understand so you're not leaving all these uncertainties behind which slows them down more and more and more and more i'm sure anybody listening can think of a class where they got lost at a certain point in time, and if you'd only had half an hour to sort out this one thing, you know, where you lost it, your life would have been different. And this is not the teacher's fault; it's the system's fault. Where well, oh, we do a time-based system—that's illogic. You need a sequence-based system, not a time-based system. Right? Um, you're
0: speaking my fast. language.
1: Keep going. It, I'm just saying you're yeah, speaking my language. It, it's fast because guess what? The, faster kids and i'm not going to use smarter right because i find each kid equally smart i find them all able to learn the same things some learn faster okay we have different learning speeds now the faster kids would happily come and help those who are behind and i use kids all the time to help other kids understand things. It gives the kids pride. Now, now, now you're interacting the various groups with each other. Each other, and you're teaching
0: them to help each other. I like that you're you're pivoting away from from smart because it is a little bit ironic that one of the first academic content areas is in the literacy world: reading, sounding words out, and so that can be in kindergarten that a kid starts feeling like they're not smart. I mean, some kids foundational experiences is based on that feeling. So I love that you are being intentional to not use that word cuz the 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 impacts are pervasive. The other piece when I interrupted you and I'm sorry is this you the theme of sequence is is my happy place. It's Steve's happy place. From a neural developmental perspective, we know the theme of sequence is the root of how the brain develops and how the brain processes, but we often forget in so many different realms that skill acquisition also happens in a sequence. We lose sight of that in education, which is literally probably one of the main systems that we, need to, uh, that, that we need them to understand that more than any other system. Skill acquisition happens in a sequence. So that is why I was saying amen when you were saying that.
1: I mean, look, parents know this. No parents hands their baby a grammar book and say, here, Learn English or, you know, whatever language, you know, the baby is born in. Mothers are some of the most, uh, some of the best teachers in the world. Fathers and grandparents too, right? But specifically mothers, why? They teach a child to speak and they have done this for centuries. Moms are the best and most patient teachers there are because they do all the heavy groundwork.
0: I was recognizing without even... Even realizing it, we're talking about rhythmic based practices.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're talking about rich reciprocal practices, yeah. relational, reciprocal. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, bringing those together by modeling. And that's really so intertwined in early caregiving. so you're you're really going back to the basics of how do you, how do you teach? Those three Absolutely. things are crucial. I don't want to take us back to this, but I also want to say, I think for me, I would encourage everyone that's listening. I think our system has become very good at not using the word stupid because I guess for all sakes and purposes, we know that we can't, there's going to be consequences if you call it yeah. stupid, but I do think and maybe unintentionally, we have found other words that we're using instead. This kid is not motivated. This kid is intentionally trying to not engage we say it in other ways. So we just have to be careful, I think, as a system of like, what other messages are we sending? We're not saying a kid is stupid, but from a vocabulary perspective, I feel like we still probably say it in other ways.
2: She chooses to fail. He chooses to fail. We say that. And it's such an excuse for us as teachers. It gets us off the hook. Well, it can't be me. Certainly it was the student who chose to fail. And there we just play into the whole sorting system again.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, and and to your point, because we focus so much on grades, just because you pass a class or just because you get through it doesn't mean that we have solidified that they actually understand it. I mean, to your point, those two are not equal. One does not mean the other. And I think that's really, that was a good thing that, that stuck out to me when you said that today.
2: I'm thinking of a lot of things being a teacher. I, I was just thinking back to this. First two things I wrote down and I was thinking about William is no words, no understanding. I I think one of the reasons I love teaching poetry was because I could teach the value of words and the power of a single word or the power of a single phrase. And so that was a good lead up activity for literacy for kids is there weren't so many words, but we got to see the power of words. And that's where I'm... enthused and inspired by you, William, is it goes right back to that. We we got to give our kids the the language needed to think and engage and create and to be curious about more words to add on. I, I just I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by your example. Likewise
1: you do the exact same thing, right? And and it just works, you know? And that's the whole point. You've seen at work, I've seen at it work. It's the only way you can actually educate. This is why I I have this literacy program of first taking somebody through all the different meanings of the small words of the English language, because that's your biggest barrier. Grammar is later, grammar is polishing off your final touches. But even you look at English grammar, I find it very badly explained. And I'll give you an example. I I tend to ask people, okay, what part of speech is, is the word house? And they go, oh, That's a noun. And I'm like, how do you know? Right? Because I haven't used the word yet. And this is where English is very particular. I can use the word house as a verb. I house my friends for the weekend. Or I can use it as an adjective. Uh, Let's have a house party. Or do you see the house cat? But what do I grammar books say? House is a noun. And you get an example uh, of words commonly used as nouns. And the next page, you uh, thought, now we're teaching about verbs. Run is a verb. Walk is a verb. And you get, quote unquote, a list of verbs. No, I go for a run. Run is a noun. A run down house, <laughs> using it as an adjective. So the very first concept you have to teach is that in English, we take a basic word and grammar is which way do I want to use that word? Because if I teach it that way, I open creative thinking. But again, what have they done? It's check marks. This is a noun. This is a a verb. This is an adjective. And and the other grammar forms, which I'm not mentioning, because I don't want to give people nightmares, um, because this subject was so painful for, for many people, right? But it's because it's taught backwards. I'll fill this in a little more. Once you understand that you can use a word, Like dog, for instance. I dog my neighbor for the money he owes me. I'm using dog as a verb. Or the book has dog ears. Oh, it's being used to describe another word, an adjective. Or I see a dog running down the street. Okay, now dog is a noun. Grammar is how do you choose to use the word? I have not been helped because it's a militaristic checkbox memorization that adds no value. Now I'm going to switch it around for you. If I say the sentence, duck under the table, the word duck is used as a verb. It's used to show action. Now let's put an article in front of that sentence. Ah, duck under the table. What happened? Oh, we use articles
0: to show that the next word is used as a noun. Yeah, I'm going to need your grammar grammar books immediately my little mind was blown when you said duck under the table i'm like he didn't say that right i think he meant to say a duck is under the table and then right. he was my mind He's like oh to duck i am ducking that's literally what steve you know my you know how my brain works so I oh know. my gosh we're
1: reducing everything to simplicities rather than trying to teach a complexity
2: yeah right that's why you know what i taught the parts of speech. I taught it outside, mostly. So we had to go discover those parts of speech. And why do we need them? Okay, we can't now say, we, we wanna say something more, but we don't have a word for it. But now we can, now we, yeah, actually we do. We have adverbs or we have whatever. William is outlining a real discovery form of learning too, that kids discover language rather than just be told about it. And that, that is a pretty powerful way to engage I don't no, know I what I, I know we're about out of time and yeah and this has been great. I could talk about this subject all morning long. And yeah Yeah. Uh, I,
0: I feel need. like I need a course by William for the next week. Five days, two hours every day. That's all it takes. And I'll be up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it, it takes. <laughs> I know. Um William, I, I can't thank you enough. I don't need what time is it in Ireland right now?
1: It's uh oh, it's five o'clock uh in the evening over here.
0: Okay. Thank you for for joining us. I'm I'm glad our our worlds collided. You know we we have we love this podcast, and as it grows, you know one of the privileges is that we meet people like you who before this podcast our worlds would not have collided. And so it's it's an honor, and you bring joy to us for why we host this. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. It's phenomenal. And even again in in prepping for this and in listening and and looking into your work, you know you you say time and time again which we've had other guests say but you your focus on the reality that education has the capacity to be the great equalizer is something that you truly believe in and something that you're trying to make happen by leveling the the playing field and shifting what education needs to look like so i'm i'm very grateful for all the work that you do
1: well thank you and likewise it's really nice to to be on your show to speak to both of you I think we are, we are actually have a very similar mindset and, and a similar goal where we're really trying to bring real education, uh, you know, and, and give the children their human rights, right? And I think that's really what your podcast represents, at least in my view. So I'm really grateful, you know, that you are doing this podcast. And it's a pleasure and actually an honor to be a guest, because you know, you know, you guys are wonderful. I, I love what you do.
0: Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's keep our worlds connected and um, travel safe in everything that you do. And, and thanks again, William.